So we're going to continue in chapter one of John. I know that uh, Kathy, I'm so glad that she could be here with you last week, uh, preached on this passage, but I wanted to go back because I think part of this um, chapter one sets up the whole book. I and mean, I think it's really, I, w- I wanted to take my shot at it. So it's not a commentary on Kathy. I'm sure she did a better job than I did. But uh, I want to go back and go, we're going to read this last part of chapter one. Also, I think I mentioned this, but I want to uh, thank Stuart and Lisa, who are not here. They're in Oklahoma, but uh, they listened to the sermons and they sent a check to help support them, that we uh, support this on the website, so or on my website. So thank you very much, Stuart and Lisa. And I think you guys are cold in Oklahoma too, but not as cold as Vermont, all right? All right, listen to the word of God. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but he confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, well, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you're neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know. The one who is coming after me, I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and declared, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the chosen one. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples, And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Behold, here is the Lamb of God. (coughs) The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter, the rock. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, 
Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe? Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds and our souls that through your word we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's so much to these lengthy passages that we read to you this day. Matter of fact, this is against every rule of preaching uh, to read this much scripture and talk about it. Um, I, I think I've told the story. I had a friend who was a preached at a Pentecostal church, an inner city church, and he said his, his, his service went for three hours, and I couldn't understand how it could go for three hours, but he, his sermon text was like two chapters, and so I could understand why you could preach for three hours. That doesn't, make it was a good, that doesn't mean it was a good idea, he just did it, right? <laughs> um, but what I wanted to do is, is to get these three questions, and I think there are three questions that are set up here in chapter one that the author intends for us to use as lenses throughout the whole book. Who, what, and where? Uh, we learned to ask those questions when we were learning to write. That's the nice thing about living with a teacher. I, I could remember that we learned that. I just couldn't remember why we learned it as a kid, right? But it's a way of framing the world, right? It's how you, how you learn to write how you learn to categorize the world. Um, as a historian, those are our three favorite questions, right? Um, if you're a scientist or an architect or an engineer, you like the how question. Uh, if you're a philosopher or a theologian, then you kick around the why question. But this question, who are you? And I have to admit, I, I, I guess it dates me, but I kept hearing the who song all week as I was doing this, right? <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> right, so, and it, it's interesting, uh, Pete Townsend wrote the, the song uh, based on, he was arrested for drunk driving in the uh, uh, United States in 1975, and apparently the officer who arrested him was not that impressed that he was with the band Who, because that line, who are you, comes from the, the cop who stopped him, right? But we start out with who are you? It's the question that's, that's addressed to John the Baptist. And he gives, he gives them three no's. It's a, it's, a great, it's a great little passage there. But this chapter one is loaded with who Jesus is, right? You know, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Earlier on, he's the, he's the Logos incarnate, the Word become flesh. He is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. He's the Messiah. He's rabbi. He's the fulfillment of prophecy. He's the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. He's the king of Israel. We learn all that in the first chapter in John's gospel. It takes the whole chapter of Mark, or the whole book of Mark, to get to any of that. But John gives it to us all up front. 
But it's not only about who Jesus is. And this is a very important thing as we walk together through the Gospel of John. Because it's important for you to ask in deeper ways who Jesus is, not only to the world, but to you. But the question of who are the people around Jesus? Who were Jesus' disciples? People like you and me who follow Jesus. Who are you as you seek Jesus? And one thing I like about chapter 1 of John is they were curious. They were, they were curious. I, I think, <clears throat> what is the key to, to staying young in your soul and in your mind? I think to remain curious. Some of you who have watched Ted Lasso, that's one of my favorite scenes from Ted Lasso. Yeah, where he ends up uh, beating a guy in darts. And he says, if you were more curious, you would have asked if I had played much darts in my life before you made this bet. <laughs> right? Yeah. They followed him to find out who he was and in, who pro- in, the, and in the process who they could be. And they cared enough to invite their friends Sometimes if you meet Jesus, you end up with a new name, a new identity. Simon becomes the rock. Nathaniel, who maybe was not a full-blown bigot, but he certainly did not have a high view of those hillbillies from Nazareth. But he meets Jesus, and suddenly his world expands, and his prejudices dissolve. You know, I think one of the marks of a genuine Christianity is does your faith change your mind? Who are we? You know, it's it's a question that's so often that's defined by externals, right? How often when you get, you, you know, you're introduced or someone wants to get to know you, You start out, well, this is what I do for a living. I had a friend who was quite successful in the finance world, and we had a Bible study together, and he came and said, he was kind of, he just, a friend of his had died, and he said, I don't want my obituary to be what I did for a living. And when you retire or change jobs or change locations, then there's an opportunity for us to kind of re-decide who we are. And there are life changes that, are, that we don't choose happen to us. Tragedies, losses. And so a lot of those external things that define us are constantly in motion. But the promise here is that who we are is grounded and continually discovered in Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, it's a beautiful poem, I won't read it all. But he wrote a poem in prison and it's, this, it's called, Who Am I? And he goes through all the different identities people give him. Some people think he is a, is a hero. Other people think he's a traitor. Uh, other people think that he's doing so well and being so courageous in prison. But he says, inside, I'm dying. But the last line of the poem is for all of us. Yeah, he says, who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest O God, I am thine. Who are you? 
We belong to Jesus. What are you looking for? Okay. So the song that kept running through my hand for this one was that U2 song. Okay, so here, we, we just moved up a decade. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? Great song. And it's funny, Jesus asked the two disciples, would-be disciples, and they respond by asking a third question. It seems to me that they didn't know, they were, it was a panic response. Have you ever been asked a question that you didn't know what quite to say, right? So it's a panic response. Uh, uh, where, you, where do you live? <laughs> you know, it was kind of a response. But that ends up being our third question, right? Um, they were certainly seekers. What, were, what did these disciples want? They, they followed John the Baptist. They were looking for some answers. But they obviously still hadn't found what they were looking for. Plato's observation that humans are leaky vessels, never quite able to be filled or satisfied, may be one of the most profound observations ever made about the human condition. We all have needs we have desires. And it's interesting, frequently Jesus asks some version of this question. What do you want? What can I do for you? And sometimes it's obvious the person's like paralyzed. Well, that, that sermon, will, that text will come up when he asks a paralyzed man, what does he want? Do you really want to be well? But Jesus asked that question for our own good and growth. God asks you today, what, what do you really want? What do you need? We, uh, at the um, Interfaith Council, um, Jim Gray did a devotional and we were supposed to share our New Year's resolutions, which I never make any, but I, I came up with something, I made up something. Um, <laughs> But boy, we went around the circle, and it was really kind of interesting. Nancy was there, and it came to one person, she goes, I want to be young again. Right? Nancy didn't say that. Now, Nancy did not say that. But it's an interesting thing. Sometimes we want things that we can't have, right? right? But, but what is the needful thing? What is the thing that God can give you here and now that you really need? Part of the question that John will continue to ask you is, what do you want? What do you really want? What do you really need? And Jesus' response, come and see. I will give it to you, and you will discover what you truly need if you walk with me. And then the question, where are you staying? And the Greek is, where do you abide? Think about that word, abide. It shows up again and again in John's gospel. So Jesus, where do you really live? That's a great question. Where does Jesus live? You know, there's a lot of songs uh, about going home. I can go up another decade and, and do a, uh, a Dave Matthews song about where are you going, right? So I'm just not stuck in the past. <laughs> or that haunting song from Godspell, By My Side, Where Are You Going? It's a beautiful song that the woman, it's, basically the Mary Magdalene character uh, asking Jesus, where are you going? Because I want to go with you. What does it mean? What, is, what do I need to do to go wherever you're going? John has already told us that the word, the Logos, has pitched his tent with us. 
That's literally what the word means. He pitched his tent with us. That he's come into the world. The world doesn't know him. He's come to his own people. They didn't accept him. But the great news is Jesus invites us to his house. I was singing last night as it was cold and I was looking out my window and so thankful for the house that I had. But I was, I was thinking about people who don't have homes. People who have been displaced by wars. People whose homes have been destroyed. I read an article the other day about a church in Bryan, Ohio that was fined um, for violating 14 different zoning laws. And the church is a downtown church and it's right beside a homeless shelter. And they were letting in, you know, the homeless shelter was full and it was freezing in Ohio two weeks ago as it is now. And so the church was letting the overflow people come into its building. Now, uh, and they got in trouble for it. Okay. Now, I want to, on one side, I, I can't believe I'm about to do this, but I'm going to give a word in favor of zoning laws. Okay? Because it's all well and good, except what if the church catches on fire? Could you imagine what the folks over at Equinox would say if suddenly we said, our church is going to be a homeless shelter? I think we'd be hearing from their lawyers the next day. What do you think? All right? And so... It's dangerous. I, you know, trust me, I've, I've been involved in about everything that can go wrong when you're trying to help people. So I understand that. But there's something fundamentally, <laughs> fundamentally flawed, first of all, that there are people in our country that don't have anywhere to be. Secondly, when it's freezing, people are dying. People have died all over the Midwest, all over the Northeast from exposure. It's just let somebody come in, right? But... How many people out there are frozen to death inside? How many remarkably successful people who have done amazing things in their life are dead spiritually? And see, part of what we need to do is to say, come in here. Come let your hearts be warmed. Come let what's frozen be melted. What's broken be healed. What needs to be forgiven, forgiven. What you need to forgive, by the grace of God, you're set free to do that. Where do you live, Jesus? Come see, he says, come see. He wants to live with us. Can we let him do that? Arleo Guthrie's song, Gabriel Mother's Highlight Blues 16, I think is what it's called. It keeps this refrain going on and on. Come on, children, all come home. Jesus going to make you well. Come on, people, it's time to go. Go to where a man can dwell. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and say what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.